fact. If there are two revelations about the same thing, it's considered a fact. Uh, according to Jewish law, at the word of two witnesses, you can put somebody to death. So the number two becomes associated with the number of a fact. Did you all get the printout? Uh, there was another one uh, on the numbers, number of Scripture. Uh, I know Harold has them. They'll probably run off. Harold, if you can hear me, you can bring those number number things in here. If you can't hear me, then I guess you won't. Uh, but it's it's on the numbers of Scripture. And I, when I first studied the book of Revelation... Uh, I did it because I had to teach it. Uh, my dean came to me and caught me in the hall and said, you got to teach Revelation next semester. And I said, no. And he came back about a month later and he said, you, you're the one. You have to teach Revelation next semester. And I said, no. I said, what part of no did you not understand? He said, you have to do it because your background in Old Testament prophets will fit into that. And uh, so I was I had been scared of Revelation for years. This was probably uh, 40 years ago that this happened, back uh, in the early, well, 35, 40 years ago. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, as I studied the book of Revelation, the first thing I did, I read through it 22 times in 22 days. Uh, I remember that very clearly because I, I was so panicked about it. And as I read, I began to see things emerging in Revelation. And one of the things that really stood out to me was the numbers. And if you read this thing carefully, there's a footnote on the second page that will tell you what I'm about to tell you. Uh, there are two amazing things that happen in the Scripture, especially in the early part of books. In Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there is a code hidden in the text, in the Hebrew text. And I never knew this till I studied under a rabbi in Dallas uh, who had become a believer. And all the rabbis know this stuff, but they don't share it. Um, but the code in Genesis, the most obvious one is uh, in the Hebrew text, is that the first verse is made up of seven words and 28 letters, which is four times seven. The second verse is made up of 14 words, two times seven, and 35 letters, five times seven. The number seven is the key to understanding the whole first chapter. Uh, only God, I think, could create what was created there. It's like he put his thumbprint in it. And uh, if you start, okay, you can see that the number six on there means, stands for man and sin. Well, that's what Genesis is about. Genesis starts out talking about man and sin. And sin comes into the world and changes everything. And so... Uh, number six, if you start with the sixth letter in Genesis 1 of the Hebrew text, and you count every 50th letters, in other words, you, you take the sixth letter, which is the Hebrew letter Tov, which the old ancient 
writing for it was the cross, our, our letter T. And you start with that and count every 50th letter. It spells out the word Torah, the Hebrew word for law. Fifty is a number for the Holy Spirit. You may already know that. Pentecost, and then 50 days later, Passover. And the Holy Spirit came on the church. Uh, I got it backwards. Passover, and then 50 days, thank you. Passover, and then 50 days later, Pentecost. Penta, Penta means 50. And so it's the 50th day, and then the Spirit came down on the church. So the number for the Holy Spirit is... The number 50, I don't even know if that's on that page, but that's 5 times 10. And you can look there, the 5 is the number of grace. And 10 is the number of sufficiency. So the Holy Spirit is sufficient grace for us. And so God put this little code, count every 50th letter, In Hebrew, uh, you don't have vowels, so it's, this is actually a, a different word, but uh, Torah is spelled out, T-O-R-A-H. Uh, in Hebrew, it's spelled like that. And the word Torah adds up to... Each letter of the alphabet has a numeric equivalent, which we, I'm not going to get into that it's too much, but it's, it adds up 611. That's exactly how many laws there are in the Old Testament. Some of the rabbis counted them and said there's 613, but their problem is they counted two of them twice because they're in there twice. Uh, the, the, the rule about the first fruits uh, and the rule about Boiling a young goat in its mother's milk. Uh, he says, don't do that because the nations around you do those things in the worship of their gods. So I don't want you doing that. So uh, those two are in there twice. They're in chapter 18 of Genesis and then over in chapter 34 of Genesis. So there are a total of 611. So the actual meaning of the word Torah is 611. There's one place in Deuteronomy where the rabbis originally translated it. This is the 611 that God gave to Moses. Okay? So the numbers in Hebrew are, are really impactful, really important. You go to the book of Matthew. I'll, if you want me to, I can email you this. Just ask me for it. I gave you my emails. I'm barrier at dallas.edu. Uh, been my email for since email was invented by Al Gore uh, or whoever it was. Uh, but uh, if you ask me for it, I'll send you the phenomena in Matthew. There, there are two things in Matthew. One of them is very amazing: is the first eleven verses of Matthew in the Greek text has the number seven again, fifteen different ways. It would be impossible for a human being to just sit down and write that out. You'd either have to have a computer or you'd have to have the Holy Spirit, God, involved in doing that. Fifteen uses of the number seven. That's one of the main phenomena of Matthew. So Genesis starts a big thing with the number seven. Everybody knows about seven days of Genesis 1. Uh, 
You know that there are 6,800 and some known language groups, and every one of them has a seven-day week. No ten-day weeks, no five-day weeks. Seven-day week. Seven, we think in those terms. And I don't know of any human being that can think outside of that. We think in the terms of seven days, 12 months, uh, 52, like a deck of cards, you know, 52 day, uh, weeks in a year. Uh, we just think in these terms. And when Stalin was ruling Russia, he wanted to get rid of all vestiges of the Bible, so he established a 10-day week. And it worked fine for seven days, and then nobody knew what they were supposed to do. <laughs> You know, and, and he couldn't he couldn't make them fulfill a ten day week. People just don't think that way. So all this is given to us in the scripture. Well, one of the things that Daniel does, and you can see this in that handout I gave you, he uses the numbers this way also, especially the number three and a half. And you'll find this in Revelation. 11, but you also find it in the book of Daniel in several places. Three and a half is a, is a number that means the middle of a week. And when Daniel prophesies about the Messiah in Daniel 9, which we probably won't have time to get into, but you can read Halley's Handbook to get a good overview of chapter 9 in Daniel. He shows that from the decree put out by Cyrus, Daniel says there are, have you studied this one? This, okay, the, the 70, 70 weeks, that's 490 days, which means the day-year connection, 490 years. So you could go, you can actually find in there the exact date of Messiah's birth, the exact date of Messiah's death, and the length of his ministry. He says the, the Messiah will be cut off in the middle of the week, meaning three and a half year ministry, and, and then killed. Uh, three and a half days or three and a half uh, years. Jesus was actually born sometime late September, early October. We know that because Luke tells us that the, the priesthood of Abijah was the priesthood uh, when John the Baptist was born. And we can trace exactly from the time of, of Abijah, which is uh, May and June, right in that area, that uh, John the Baptist would have been born at a certain time, nine months later or so, and then Jesus born about six months later than that. So... Uh, we know that he was born sometime September, October. So, you know, Christmas. Uh, I still love the, the I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and Christmas cards and uh, snow and all that good stuff. But that's not, you know, the shepherds were not out in the field in the middle of winter. I mean, they just didn't do that. And uh, Luke tells us that shepherds were there at the birth of Christ. So what I want to do with you today is look at Daniel's two visions. One of them is a vision of Nebuchadnezzar, a dream he had. 
And then the other one is the vision of Daniel, and it's, it's too much to read all the Scripture. I think it's so valuable. If you have read chapter 2, you know what this image is like. The dream of Nebuchadnezzar with my great artwork. And if you need uh, this information I had up here on, the, on diabetes or uh, things you can do to rebuild your pancreas to produce uh, insulin and there's a lot of things you can do. God has put herbs on this earth, I think, for us. And we know so little about them. I know very little about the herbs. I've been reading on them for years. The last 15 years or so, I've really gotten into reading on the Chinese herbalists and all of their teaching. You know, China's medicine goes back 5,000 years. Vedic medicine in India goes back 5,000 years. We've got a little fledgling medicine community over here that wants to treat symptoms instead of deal with health. And uh, that's, I have a tendency to get off on that. Well, in chapter 2, and then we're going to look at chapter 7, there are two visions. The first vision is Nebuchadnezzar, and I will abbreviate his name. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the Aramaic term, means uh, Nebo, guard the boundary stone. Uh, in other words, protect my kingdom. Nebo was one of the main gods they worshipped. Marduk was one of the main gods they worshipped. They had several gods, including Baal and others. So Nebo, the people were named after their gods, just like the Israelites were named after their god. You know, Yeshat Yahu. You know who that is? Isaiah. <laughs> Yeshat uh, Yahu, the Yahu on the end there is abbreviated form of Yahweh, God's name. Uh, all the the Hebrew name num, naming system. In fact, the guys that went into captivity with uh, Daniel that are named, the name Daniel, God is my judge. The L is God on the end of that. Uh, Azariah is one of them, and the Yah on the end is short for God. So. These people also named on the basis of their gods. And, uh, in fact, um, uh, Daniel was renamed by Nebuchadnezzar. When you name something in Eastern culture, that makes you the lord of that thing, whatever it is. When Daniel, I mean, when uh, Adam named all the animals, he was the lord of those animals. And I don't know if you ever noticed, but Adam and Eve were never named. They were called Adam. They were called man. Until they sinned. And after they sinned, the Scripture says, Adam named her Eve. Chava. I don't know how you get Eve out of that. but He named her Chava because it means that she is the mother of all the living. So when he named her, that means he's the Lord of her also. Because of sin, because of the fall, uh, women must submit to their husbands. God said this to Eve. He said, your desire will be for your husband. That's a Hebrew idiom. Your desire will be to rule your husband, but he must rule you. And the word rule is the same word used for the sun ruling the day and the moon ruling the night. So it's not a bad idea. It's an idea of enlightenment. The husband's job is to help the wife to learn, I think, among other things. But we help each other to learn. 
We help each other to grow. So chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And what happens in the dream, the Aramaic text, or the, not the Aramaic there, the Hebrew text makes it so clear that he had the dream and it scared him badly and woke him up and then he couldn't remember the dream. But he knew it was important. Uh, if you read in your English Bible, it'll say something like, uh, the, uh, the thing has gone from me or the word has uh, gone out from me. But it's not word at all. It's the, the dream he had. The thing is gone. He can't remember it. That's why he called all the wise men in and he said, Now I want you to tell me my dream and the interpretation of my dream. The thing is gone from me. That's it. I've, I've lost it. I don't know what the dream was. So he calls the wise men together and asks for something no king had ever asked for. Tell me my dream. Well, well, well you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. No. You tell me the dream and the interpretation, or I'll kill all of you. And when the Daniel heard about this, he came and respectively spoke to the king and said, I'll, I'll answer your question tomorrow, saving the lives of all these people. Well, Daniel didn't know what it was either. If you've read the passage, you know he went home and cried to God and prayed to God, lay in his bed and said, God, Tell me, reveal to me what it was that he saw. Here's what he saw. He saw a statue with a head of gold. Now, this statue was enormous. And uh, the statue went all the way down. It's described in detail. The chest and shoulders were of silver. The belly and thighs were of bronze. Bronze is a mixture of tin and brass. Makes it stronger together. And then the legs are of iron. But by the time you get down to the feet, clay comes in to the iron. And clay is just basically dust. It has nothing to adhere. And so there's no sticking to together there. The iron and the clay can't stay together. So what he dreams is like an idol with clay feet. And this is one of the images that we've heard uh, passed down to us for years. I'm not a great artist, but you can get the idea here. So God revealed this to Daniel. And Daniel went in the next day and said, O king, live forever. This is a greeting. You know, it's like, uh, what do they say in Britain? Long live the king. Long live the queen. Well, she's 90-something. It worked for her. <laughs> so here's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and Daniel informs Nebuchadnezzar of his own dream. If God hadn't revealed it to Daniel, of course, he wouldn't have known that. And this is the first thing that, that God revealed to Daniel that's recorded in Scripture. Daniel simply prayed and asked God to help him with this. <coughs> he was. <coughs> he was in training to be a wise man in, uh, in Babylon, just like 
similar to what happened to Joseph in Egypt. <coughs> Excuse me. And so Nebuchadnezzar was so relieved to hear what this dream was, but he didn't know what scared him, and Daniel's going to tell him in a little while. <coughs> Excuse me. He says there was a rock cut out without human hands. And this rock came and hit this statue on the feet. And the word for hit in, in Aramaic, and by the way, it switches to Aramaic when Daniel starts explaining the dream to the king, because the king wouldn't understand Hebrew. Daniel's learned enough Aramaic that he can tell the king what happened. And so he's speaking Aramaic. This, this book is about half Aramaic, uh, starting in chapter uh, 2, where Daniel begins to tell the dream, over through chapter 7. Verse 28 is the Aramaic portion of the book, and then the rest goes back into Hebrew again. Uh, but he's speaking Aramaic to the king, because the king wouldn't understand Hebrew, so he says, O king, you are the head of gold. So this, this is a very positive image. The head of gold. You're the, you're the best. You're the top of the statue. And then he says, after you will come other kings, and there are two sides to this. There's shoulder and chest, two sides. And so this is Babylon. This is Medo-Persia, the Medes and the Persians. <coughs> Babylon, the city, was impregnable. Uh, you can read about this in uh, Barnes' commentary. He goes into it more than any of the others that I've found. Uh, he said that the the city of Babylon was surrounded by three sets of walls. The walls were 300 feet high, 30 stories high, all the way around the city, three sets. Of wall. In between was a moat filled with all kinds of, you know, crocodiles or whatever lives over. It's either crocodiles or, or uh, caimans or what's the other one besides crocodile? Like alligator. Yeah. They're, they're, they're different things anyway, but they live between the walls here in this, in this uh, moat. And so here's the city in here. And it's completely protected. In fact, when they were, when Nebuchadnezzar later in chapter 4 goes up on the roof of his palace and looks out over Babylon, he's thinking how great it is. And I did this, you know. Nebuchadnezzar needed several opportunities to repent in his life. And that was one of them. So they bragged that nobody could ever conquer the city of Babylon. And when we get a little farther in Daniel, you'll see how they did it. It's a very simple way to do it. So, here's the ruling power now. The next ruling power is going to be two-sided. It's going to have two parts to it. The next ruling power will be Greece. 
Now, of course, he doesn't tell them the names of the countries. He just says the next one will be two-sided. The next one will be uh, a great power that will rule the whole world. And then the next one would be Rome. If you have an NIV study Bible in front of you, and you turn to chapter 7 in Daniel, you'll see a picture of this right next to the interpretation of Daniel chapter 7. Those two chapters are parallel chapters. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, but over in chapter 7, it's Daniel that has his dream. And when we get to the part in Daniel with the handwriting on the wall, um, I'll show you how Babylon was conquered. Now, you may already know this. So, in chapter 7, then, there's another dream that corresponds with this dream. Now, what is this rock that's cut out without human hands? You know, throughout this, the Old Testament, God is called the rock. Now, even in Psalm 19, David says, May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God is the rock about 30 places in the Old Testament. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus is the rock. In his Sermon on the Mount, he ends in chapter 7 by saying, If you pay attention to what I say and do what I say, you'll be like the man who built his house on the rock. And then in uh, chapter 16, when Peter says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, On this rock I build my church. So the image of the rock <coughs> cut out without human hands means this is a divine rock. I got to get a drink of water here. So I know what that's about. Um so the divine rock strikes this and strikes it over and over and over and over. I told you it's a word for clapping hands. And pulverizes this thing. It just falls down and is destroyed by this rock. And the rock takes over. And the rock grows and becomes a great mountain to fill the whole earth. The Hebrew word, mountain, is a symbol for the word kingdom. There are several places where God says they will not harm or destroy in all my holy mountain. It means all my holy kingdom. Uh, in chapter 11 of Isaiah and many, many other places. So, uh, the rock grew and became a mountain. The rock, Jesus, building his church on the rock, and that rock grew and became a kingdom that filled the whole earth. Now, Daniel saw this in past tense. He says this, this is what happened because he saw it in, in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And when the prophets speak in past tense, and this happens throughout the scriptures, the Hebrew word for, for past tense, I mean the Hebrew uh, verb form 
means it's already happened. It's so certain it's going to happen, it's as though it already happened. But it's in the future. Like Isaiah 2, uh, the first four verses, he describes the kingdom of God exploding with growth in the world and people coming from all over the world to Jerusalem. And that's been happening for a long time. Got to blow my nose now. So, this is a summary of that first dream. Do you do you have any questions on that? You can read about it in chapter 5. It goes into a lot more detail. This right here, the divine rock is Christ, and Christ established his kingdom, and it's exploded and filled the whole world. And what's going on right now is just such an incredible miracle that the church, even though in this country... God's been taken out of our culture, systematically removed from our schools, taken out of anything out in public. Uh, they want to take the uh, the cross of the uh, veterans down in New Mexico. It's up on a mountain that you can drive by and see. Uh, they want to they want to get every vestige of Christian Christianity out of our civilization, out of our culture, and they're doing it. And uh, there are a few. Law groups, American Center for Law and Justice, uh, Judicial Watch, and some others who are working against that, but it's they're outnumbered a thousand to one. Uh, ACLU is the main one, you know, American, what is it, Communist Lawyers Union or something? Andy Christ Legal Union. Yeah, that's that's. I guess you got that. Yeah, that's pretty good. <coughs> so. All right, so this is the first one. Now, the second dream, and you can go on over to chapter 7. Daniel is bothered by this dream. One of the pictures in this dream is that of water being stirred up by a great wind. Water is a Jewish image for chaos. You go back to Genesis 1, verse 2. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Uh, the Spirit is going to bring order. The Word is going to bring order. But at that point of Genesis 1, verse 2, it's all in chaos. It's all in darkness before God speaks. But water is there. Water is there before God speaks. That's how Second uh, Peter 3, 5 can say God created the universe out of water, by means of water. Everything He creates is through water. Every baby that comes into the world comes through water. And so Daniel has this dream that this, the sea is being stirred up, moving back and forth. You've seen the ocean when it's stirred up, m mountainous waves. <clears throat> it's stirred up by a wind. Now, what, this, what the sea is in prophecy, I told you mountain means kingdom. The sea means human history. John tells us in Revelation 19 that the sea is nations and tribes and tongues and peoples. It's all that happens in among the peoples of the world. And it's basically chaos. And when you get to heaven and you see the crystal sea, 
that John saw in Revelation, uh, that Moses and the 70 elders of Israel saw in the uh, 34th chapter of Exodus, uh, blue sea under the feet of God. Uh, the sea to God is completely under control, smooth as glass, clear as crystal, John says. But the sea from human perspective is out of control. You don't know what's going to happen in human history, especially now with all the terrorists. In our lifetimes, I mean, who ever heard of Bosnia and Herzegovina 25, 30 years ago? It was Czechoslovakia. And now everything is, is changing, all those... Zimbabwe. Remember Zimbabwe? It used to be Rhodesia. And they had the war, and the names changed. And you have different countries being formed, and the borders of countries expanding and contracting. This is human history. This is the sea. If you go to Psalm 46, it is the clearest picture in, in Scripture of the sea being human history and of the kingdoms falling into the sea. He describes it in, in Psalm 46. Um, the sea is being stirred up, and mountains are collapsing and falling into the heart of the sea, and the sea boil and foam. That's, that's the prophetic image. But then he explains it by saying, nations destroy nations. There's constant attacking going on in history. War changes everything. Psalm 46 is a prophetic psalm. He sees in prophecy, and he interprets what he sees. The sea and the mountains are really human history, and the mountains are kingdoms. The collapse in human history. So Daniel sees the sea, and it's all stirred up. Remember, the sea is human history. In the midst of this come four great beasts. There's four sections to this. Now there's going to be four great beasts. The first is a lion with wings. <clears throat> and in the midst of the vision, Daniel sees, and we're going to talk about this Tuesday night. In the midst of the vision, Daniel sees that this lion has its wings plucked off. And then the lion is stood upright and given a human heart. In other words, human mind, spirit, is the way that's described. Chapter 4 of Daniel is what he's talking about, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. After, after the first lion comes up with wings, the second beast is a bear, and I'm putting him on, a, on one side because it, the bear has two sides. And if you read Daniel, he says the bear is up on one side. And he was, he was told to, by heaven to eat much flesh. In other words, conquer a lot of peoples. So the bear has two sides, just like this. Medes and Persians. The third beast is a leopard with four wings. What's four on your sheet? It's a universal number. This leopard just conquered the world. This is Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire. 
A the G, Alexander the Great. You know, it's purple and conquered the world. Alexander the Grape. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Stick with the Bible. Let's leave the humor alone. That's what that was. Then the next one is a great beast. And this beast has iron teeth. It connects with this image again. And this beast chews up all the other beasts. And it's in the middle of this kingdom. In the middle of this kingdom that the kingdom of God begins. In Roman kingdom, God's kingdom begins. Here you have the same thing, the great beast with iron teeth, which connects it with the iron of the legs of the image. Daniel says, Then I saw, Daniel 7.13, you want to turn there? Seven thirteen, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. <coughs> the Aramaic text. Let me back up. There's only one guy that tells us about the ascension of Jesus in the Bible. And that's the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. At the end of Luke, he talks about Jesus being taken up before their eyes. At the beginning of the book of Acts, the same thing. Only Luke tells us about the ascension. If it weren't for Luke, we wouldn't know about it. But Daniel also saw it. The guy standing on the ground saw Jesus go up until he got to the cloud. And the cloud hid him from their sight. You remember? And now Daniel says, I saw him like a son of man riding on the clouds and coming up to the ancient of days. So Daniel takes over from what Luke reveals in the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. And he sees Jesus ascending and coming to the Father. He's called the Ancient of Days only by Daniel. God is the Ancient of Days. He, his hair is white like snow, but his eyes are like flames of fire. You know, he may be old, but he is incredibly powerful. He is Ancient of Days. And so here's Jesus coming up before God, and here's what the Aramaic text at the end of verse 13 says. The English here says he was led into his presence. But the Aramaic text says he had been sacrificed before him. Now, it can be translated the way it is here. But the most obvious translation is he had been sacrificed before him. This is Jesus. This is the one who was sacrificed before God and then showed himself to be alive 40 days and then ascended to heaven. And Daniel takes up where the book of Acts finishes. He's hidden from their sight by a cloud, but Daniel sees him in this vision. 
and he sees him coming up to God, and he is the one who had been presented as an offering before God. Okay? And, and so he says, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Three, this is God's signature. All peoples, nations, and men of every language, three, worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He already ruled in heaven before he came to earth, and now he rules in heaven again. He is fulfilling the mandate of God to David back in 2 Samuel 7, when God said, You will never lack a man to rule on your throne forever. And so Jesus is that man. Daniel, uh, I should say David, knew him, knew that Jesus was there. Remember Psalm 110? We all looked at that. Verse 1. It has two words for Lord. And the English translators decided to show the difference by capitalizing one of the words. Psalm 110, verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. What the text says is, Yahweh said to Adonai, Sit at my right hand. This is God speaking to His Son. God speaking to the human figure of God. Adonai means my Lord. So, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. You know, you can only sit down after your job is done. The book of Hebrews makes this abundantly clear that the priests stand daily offering sacrifices. They stand through the whole ceremony. They can never sit down because their job is never done. But when Jesus ascended to heaven, when he had paid the sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. His job is done. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he had carried out God's will to the full. And it's completed. And so Jesus now sits down as our high priest. His job's done. He doesn't have to keep coming and offering more and more sacrifices the way the Jews did. Besides, Hebrews makes it clear the blood of bulls and goats will never take away sin. So we have two images here of the same thing. Four kingdoms that will be set up. And during the beast kingdom, the iron kingdom, during that time, Daniel sees the ascension of Jesus coming up to God. He sees the kingdom beginning. Jesus has his kingdom now. He rules now. The only thing that he has yet to destroy is death. So look what he says. I, Daniel, verse... that. 15, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my head disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there, see, in his vision. He's going up to somebody in his vision. Same thing happened with John in the book of Revelation. He went up to one of the elders 
And the elder asked him, how many, uh, you know, which of these people uh, are, belong to God and which do not? And uh, Daniel, uh, and John said, I, Lord, you know. Yeah, because Daniel didn't know. Uh, John didn't know. So I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. He told me that he would give me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. See, here's the interpretation. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, and terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. See, he's got parts from all these beasts. So I wanted to know that, he says. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head that came up, and, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, and the horn that looked more impressive than all the others. It had eyes and a mouth and spoke boastfully. Alexander Campbell said this is a reference to the Pope. <coughs> I think it's probably a reference to the Emperor of Rome. Because it comes out of the beast. And when you look at the beast in the book of Revelation, the beast there has seven heads and ten horns. Seven means perfect or complete. Complete lordship. Had absolute authority over the earth. And ten horns means sufficient power. Horn means power. Head means ruler. So the beast in, in Revelation is like this beast. It has seven heads and ten horns, and the ten horns that were on this beast gave it full authority. And you go to Revelation and you'll read that authority was given to the beast to kill the saints. He had the right to murder the saints given to him from above. This is what persecution is. This is what's been going on since the beginning of the world. This is why Cain killed Abel. He killed Abel simply because he was unrighteous and his brother was righteous. Unrighteous people hate righteous people. This is why the people of the terrorists and other groups constantly are killing Christians. 322 a day. Can you imagine? How many is that in a year? That's an enormous number. This is why they're saying that more people will die this century than all preceding centuries combined for Christ. Have you ever asked yourself what would happen to you if you came to church one day and there were armed gunmen that had taken over the country and they were telling you you couldn't worship. You ever, you ever wonder what you would do if you were under persecution like that? I've thought about it many, many times. I'd make sure they killed me quick. <laughs> because the great thing about it, uh, death, is Jesus said, anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So if you get killed doing the right thing, you're going to heaven. You're going to be with him. The worst that can happen is the best that can happen. That's the great thing about being a Christian. We win by losing. 
Just like Jesus did. He won by losing. Dying on the cross, a miserable criminal death. But then the resurrection destroyed all of Satan's hopes. <clears throat> so here, here is an image that goes right into Revelation. Daniel feeds right into Revelation. So is Ezekiel, so does Zechariah. The four horsemen of Revelation come right out of Zechariah's first and eighth visions. He has eight visions in his book. Uh, the, the scripture is replete with these images. Now I want to stop and see if you have any questions about this. <clears throat> 